from the Dallas On Air studios in beautiful Dallas, Texas. This is Next Issue on DallasOnAir.com. And now, here's your host, Clay Harrison. Hey now, everyone. Welcome to the Next Issue podcast. We are a bi-weekly comic book podcast out of Dallas. We are part of the Dallas On Air Live family. Uh, usually, my co-host, uh, Kyle Condis, <laughs> is here. He is absent today due to oversleeping. Uh, hopefully, he'll join us, join us maybe for the second half. Uh, with me today, The Authority. How are you doing, Adrian? It's too early in the morning, but I'm doing well. Uh, it's so early. About <laughs> the only good thing about this is Whataburger in the morning. Word. Uh, Gave her taquitos. Yes. Uh, Hashtag taquitos. Sponsor us. <laughs> since our last episode, um, the unfortunate passing of Lynn Wynn, uh, the great comic book writer, contributor uh, to all of comics, um, happened. And we've been talking about Lynn. We've been researching and looking at his uh, his work, his history, and it's just incredible. And we we got together. We decided we were going to have a conversation about the man, his work, uh, the people in his life that kind of went on to make what we know as modern comic books. I mean, the modern right. uh, the modern age of comics, um, because a lot of when Lynn started uh, happened when him and Marv were touring the D.C. offices. Right. Uh, so imagine that you and your your friend, uh, when you're like 20-something, you go, we're just going to tour this place till they give us a job. Right. <laughs> well, it wasn't even 20-something. They were still teenagers. They would skip high school. Yeah. And go every Thursday. Yeah. And... It's it's amazing because 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 his his best friend's Marv Wolfman right, and if you don't know Marv Wolfman's work, uh, you should sp- strictly for Teen Titans alone right. Um, w- what's your history with Marv? What, what do you know him from? Uh, mainly Teen Titans. Him and him and Prez's run on Teen Titans. Yeah. Um, How influential was that book to you? To be honest with you, I really wasn't a Teen Titans fan. Yeah. Uh, uh, um, through Kyle, I become more of a fan going back and reading some of the old stuff, older stuff, and it, it it's great. Yeah, like I understand their place in history. I just never latched on to them. Yeah, and I probably should have. Thinking back on it now, I was more of a Marvel guy. But um, you know, anytime you get together with a bunch of nerds and and talk geek stuff, Wolfman and Perez run on Teen Titans always comes up. Yeah, so you know it's there. It, you can't you can't hide it, and that's the Amazing thing as we go through this is how many of the greats that Lynn Wayne worked with or, or friends with and shape what we think of comic books today. Yeah. You know. Well, I mean, it, and Marv would go back and forth between DC and Marvel over right. time, create characters like Blade. Right. Um, you know, one of the early adapted uh, characters to film. Right. Um, for me, Teen Titans was like one of the best DC books I discovered as a kid because I was a huge Marvel guy. I was a Marvel mm-hmm. zombie, read ton, tons of X-Men. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I kept hearing this uh, Teen Titans book. Right. You know, oh, you gotta read this. You gotta read this. And first of all, you know, you look at it and you go, "Wow, this this art's amazing." Right. Like you know, and then you discover George Perez, and you go, "Wait a minute, I gotta find everything this guy's done." Right. <laughs> and then you, and then you get into the story, and it's pretty much uh, amazing to see the stories that were being told back in the eighties, right, becoming kind of what the films are now. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, there's a lot. That was that's the whole thing with. Um, you know, we, we, we got Blade and we got Spider-Man 
and then we got the or we got the we had X Men. Then, then we kind of went through a period where the comic books movies weren't that great, other yeah. than the, other than those those titles. Yeah, they weren't that great. And when what Fly- are you talking about? Dolph Lundgren as the Punisher was awesome. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I can't even take that seriously. Um, but uh, but but. You take someone like Kevin Feige, yeah, who uh, was an executive or uh, associate producer on the X Men films and stuff, and having this vision of why are you rewriting all this stuff when you have existing? There's a reason why everybody's fans of these people, and it's not because of the well, the art's part of it, but there's these fantastic, rich stories that are already there. Right, you just mine from it. That's all you have to do, and. Um, I think that set us on a pace of getting better comic books. I, I think the more they they try to steer away from all that stuff, uh, all the history and, and the storylines that are from the comic books, yeah, the more chances we're getting a, a, a bummer of a comic book movie. Yeah, well, uh, like the Judas Contract is obviously right. the, the 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 big Teen Titans book that we're talking about the the, mm-hmm. the storyline, and that even got kind of like even the kid cartoon right. had uh, Terra had right. uh, Trigon had all these other elements that were right. part of that, and and are the modern day Titans. You're right. Uh, before that, I don't think you had seen Cyborg as one of no. the originals. Um, Starfire before that, I don't think. No, nah, she either. didn't come over. I think more to a little bit, a lot later, maybe yeah. in the 80s. Yeah. And that's the funny thing, going back, the Teen Titans, uh, uh, you know, when I think of Teen Titans, I'm thinking back when I was a kid in the 80s, or as a early teen kid in the 80s, but that book's been around since like the mid-60s. Mm, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, because that was, that was the first book right. that Marv wrote on. It right. was 1968 yeah. Teen right. Titans. Um, uh, Lynn would go on to work with Bernie Wrightson and right. create Swamp Thing, which is which is an amazing character mm-hmm. when you think about it. Because a lot of film nerds are going to say, "Oh, yeah, that the, those campy films," and uh, there was a short-lived TV series on mm-hmm. USA. Right. Uh, but the, the TV series was actually really good. It was. Right. It was, and 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 it's kind of hard to find on DVD, but, but better that, than it had business being, honestly. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was kind of a, a he was kind of a background character in in the story of the swamps. It was right. uh, it was. More of like what the comic was, right? And yeah, and I mean, and, and and you really got some great character development in there. Uh, you had you fully developed Doctor Arcane. You really had yeah. a great look at uh, you know the psychological torture that uh, he was going through. Yeah, it's a great series. Yeah, and 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 all Linwin creations. Right. Uh, it it's amazing to kind of see the divide on those two because people will want to point out the movie and go, "Well, it was campy, but it was fun." Yeah. Uh, but then anyone who's read the Alan Moore run will go, this is one of the definitive runs in comics. If you want to know Swamp Thing, right. you want to know this. Yeah. Uh, but I think you definitely need to and go back to the origin and, and read Len's work. The problem with that is, is that, because I've gone back and, and read like the first 10 issues of Len's run on Swamp Thing, the writing's great, but it's very dated. And... Yeah. Um, which could kind of turn people going back on it a little off. But in Alan Moore, although it's still from the 80s, it still holds up. Would you blame the Comics Code Authority on what Lynn was writing in the uh, 70s versus what Alan was doing when you it could. was a Vertigo title? 
anything from the from from the seventy sixties and seventies you can blame on the comics code. Yeah, you know that that was. You know, once that kind of went away, you start getting into this. I mean, really kicked in the high gear. You know, you got the Alan Moores and and uh, Frank Miller's run on Daredevil and Batman, and you start getting those type of storylines that really change what comics is. So, yeah, you can you can you can blame it on the comics code. Yeah, I, I, but the thing that really stands out is Bernie Wrightson would go on become kind of the look of horror in comics right. uh, up until his passing last year. Yeah. Uh, he's like yes. if you if you hunt down Bernie Wrightson's work, you're going to be amazed at some of the people that have pulled him out of comics, like Stephen King, and had him, you yeah. know, draw uh, yeah. in in a few of his novelizations and uh, movie work. Movie work, yeah. yeah, he's done a lot of design work mm -hmm. that's amazing. Like, I think that would probably be one of my top five. Pages. If I could get some original art, I, right. I would want to be able to afford some Bernie Wrightson and have that up in my house. Well, um, like I said, I got to. I have a print. I didn't get a. I, I really didn't understand who I was talking to when I met him last year. I, I went to the Dallas Comic Book Show last okay. year, and I'm walking around, and because I've heard of Bernie Wrightson, right, and I've heard of Swamp Thing, and there was a total disconnect. Because I've seen pictures of Bernie when he was younger, you know, and the guy that was sitting in front of me was kind of old. Like, you could tell his health was not good. Right. Like, he was on an oxygen tank. Oh. Yeah. Oh, okay, so, yeah. And so I'm sitting there talking to him, and and it was just it just threw me off that, you know, this guy slubbed all the way to the Dallas for this comic book show. And uh, I got this really great print, um, and he signed it for me. Yeah. You know, I didn't get any original art, but he got the print and he signed it for me. And I, and then of course, <clears throat> I would go home from the comic book show and start reading some of his stuff and how awesome he was. And I was like, man, that's really cool. I got to meet this guy. And then of course, he passes away earlier this year. Yeah. And then <clears throat> because I went back and started reading Bernie Wrights and stuff, um, I got familiar with Lynn Wynn and then his passing. Like I said, it kind of hit me kind of hard when you asked me to do the show. I'm like, yeah, I'm in. I'm in. Yeah. You know. <clears throat> it's um, going back to that Teen Titans. Uh, he created uh, on that very first issue. Him and Wolfman created um, the first Russian superhero, Red Star. Oh yeah, yeah. And then what's funny is, is that two episodes or two issues later, he actually created the first black superhero for DC. Right. And Carmine Inf Inf uh, Infantino. It? Infantino was the editor at the time. Mm -hmm. Nixed that idea and had somebody rewrite that issue. Yeah, because he, he <clears throat> what I had read was that if you had, and I'm assuming that they mean any minority character, mm -hmm. it, the book wouldn't sell in the South. Right. That was the way it was explained in right. what I've what I've read. Uh, but Lynn takes a, does an interesting thing after that character because he starts to create a couple of iconic characters right. for uh, Batman and for Suicide Squad. Right. And um, well. He created a, a series of characters, and we'll talk about it. We'll get to it here in a little bit. That really changed my view of comic books altogether. Oh, and yeah. got me reading comic books heavily. And um, but it's it's just funny how he he was really innovative in bringing in diversity. And you know that's kind of a big issue in comics today. But whatever reason, um, but 
he really did try to diversify his like some of the characters he created. I, I to me when we when we start to talk about diversity, I always get to uh, Dwayne uh, McDuffie. Yeah. Because his statement on diversity is just representation. Right. That uh, a kid wants to read a book and look at at someone like himself mm-hmm. and be the hero. Right. And that's going to affect a lot of kids. Every right. kid wants to pick up a book and find himself in there, whether right. he's the hero or the sidekick. When they did sidekicks for a long time, mm-hmm. um, that representation is very important to the reader. Yeah, and that was true when I was growing up, you know. Um, and they, you know, kids these days, I, you know, we talk, we joke um, off off air about me and my daughter and some of the things that she will never have to understand. Um, and you know, it's uh, funny how we talk about, you know, kids these days don't know how rough we had it. My black characters were black Panther, power man, <laughs> and, and early black lightning. Right. <laughs> so, I mean, and that was it. Yeah. And so, and then if you were black female or, or just a female in general, you were pretty limited too. Misty Knight. Yeah. Um, night nurse. Yeah. You're, you know, you're going to get into some of the. Supporting characters, right? That's that's where it's really going to matter. Miss, well, I guess she did start really becoming a major player in the eighties. Well, I wouldn't call it major because well, Luke Cage isn't really a major book. Yeah, never has been. Well, you had you had Luke Cage, uh, you had Iron Fist. She was in that. Mm-hmm. You had yeah. what, what's kind of neat is seeing John Byrne, what John Byrne would do, right. Misty and Colleen. Mm-hmm. A lot a lot of people don't know that John Byrne's wife was like a fashion designer, and so a lot of the women. He would just he would he would have the art available for fashion, and so right. you will see women drawn by John Byrne with looks like no one else. Right. And when you go through, that's why you would that's why there's this appeal to his art. I mean, other than it just being beautiful, but you had just different takes. I think that's why Lois Lane will always stand out in Man of Steel. Right. Um, all the women throughout the X-Men run, but specifically on Dark Phoenix Saga, because you see them in yes, in yes. every element. You see them out to see Dazzler. Yeah. You see them in the training room. You've got right. every costume that Kitty Pride ever wears. Right. Uh, you, when they go to the Hellfire Club. The Hellfire <laughs> yeah. Club look. I mean, you, yeah. it's it's amazing. And again, you know, when we start to talk about Lynn, we're going to have to talk about the X-Men reboot. Yeah. And how important that is, and I mean, mm-hmm. for me, uh, this this is this begins my childhood. Yeah, well, and that's the that 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 uh, is what got me in the comic, or really X Men. Yeah, yeah. When he when that was rebooted, and uh, someone said on Twitter when I was doing my research, um, when Lynn passed away, they're like, the greatness of Lynn Wing Wynn was so great that when he joined the X Men, the X Men were just five white kids from. from <laughs> <laughs> Five yeah. white kids going to school. <laughs> yeah, and That's what, that was the tweet. And had was, been reboots. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, there, there's so many. Like, like you talk about Stan and uh, Jack doing X Men. Like after mm-hmm. 42 issues, it's just they just yeah. started reissuing those old comics, right. and so it wasn't until they uh, looked at rebooting it. And Lynn goes, "Well, I got this character I created in Hulk." Right. Uh, and I want to use him. And and what's weird is Wolverine actually started out. It, I, I've been watching interviews with Lynn, right? And the weirdest thing is Wolverine. Mm-hmm. Wolverine was going to be a mutated animal, right? <laughs> well, <laughs> I watched that interview with him and Stan Lee, 
Which is a great one. I'm gonna yeah. try to I'm, I'm I'm gonna try to put together a playlist of some of the great interviews, right? Uh, and we'll post it on our Facebook and Twitter page. But he, uh, no, it wasn't that interview. It was um, there was I one was at there, a con that was really yeah. great. That went I on. think this was at a con. This was the one where the one, I think he was at his office and and the lady and he had his dog there and oh, the lady's yeah. just in his in, in her face the whole time. But he totally denied that. <laughs> he's like, I don't know where that came from. He was always really yeah. He's like. He's always been a human, you know. He was always a human, just you know. Um, but she brought that up, and he was like, and it was just, they went into like this five, six minute conversation about that. And yeah. He kind of, he kind of sh- poo pooed that away, but it was just, um, it's funny how just kind of rumors just kind of grow, legends. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, because now, now it's almost mistaken for fact. Yeah. Or at least the way I, right. At least the way I heard it. Um, so he creates Wolverine and puts him in this Hulk book and then they're going to reboot the X-Men. And so he creates characters, Nightcrawler, uh, Colossus, Storm, Thunderbird, Thunderbird. And, uh, we're just seeing diversity done for the first time in a Marvel book in a really long time. Right. Um, and so Lynn is, Lynn is doing this book. He is doing, uh, he's doing X-Men, he's doing mm-hmm. Hulk, uh, he's doing another book, and he's got to give one of them up. And, yeah. and so he's not sure what book he wants to give up. And there is this proofreader outside of his office who, mm-hmm. who wants to do X-Men. Mm-hmm. He's just a, you know, I guess you would say back then he was a bullpen guy. Yeah. And Well, he was his assistant. He, it was his assistant. He was his assistant editor or something like that. I think. I think that's what yeah. his official title was. So his his office was like right outside, and he was talking to somebody else, and he was like, kind of raised his hand. I'll I'll do it. I'll, I'll take it. it. Yeah. And and so they get this guy Chris Claremont, and he would go on to do the book for seventeen years. Right. <laughs> and so right now we've seen Lynn, and he gets into comics, and everyone around him is a comics god. Right. <laughs> I mean, everybody. Well, and the thing about it is, is we skipped over a little thing that when he left Swamp Thing, he handpicked Alan Moore to take over that run. Yeah. And was the editor on that run for him. Um, you know, and we all know what came Alan Moore. So, yeah, I mean, it, Lynn is very influential in bringing a lot of British talent here. Right. And Alan Moore being probably the biggest. Right. Uh, I. I can't imagine what comics would be like without Alan. Right. Um, if we go through like everything, I mean, like if you don't know his impact on comics, uh, we may just do a whole episode dedicated to Alan. Uh, this, this, <laughs> the death of Lynn really got to us because it was a lot of our childhood, but it was so sudden. We've researched for two weeks, and I want to do like six more months of research. Right. I mean, I honestly I mean, would I found... love to do a documentary about right. the guy because. It's meant so much to me. Well, yeah. It, the more, like I said, I don't feel like I've done it justice. It's, and we talked about it on on just a second, and the last time I was on this show, how I'm more trying to get back and and into comics. I love comics, and yeah. I just fell away from it, and how I'm getting back into it. And the more, the more I do that, the more I realize, you know, because when I was a kid, it was about the art. It wasn't really about the story. You know, there were some good stories. There were some great stories. Memorable ones, you know, because everybody remembers the Dark Phoenix saga and, right. and stuff like that. Um, but the the writing and stuff and just some of the... And so when you're doing this research on Lynn, all the titans 
you know, uh, are just like just a pantheon of people. I mean, the only person that that did not come up in my um, in my research of this was uh, Miller and Mazzucchelli. Oh wow! Those are the only two names that did not pop that up. He never touched, it, yeah, edited, yeah. or yeah. I mean, he might have, but I I couldn't find it. Yeah, I'm sure if I went back and and looked at some of his credits, then he probably did, but. His name specifically never came up in any of the interviews or any of the, like I said, any of the research I, I did. But, um, you know, Gibbons, Cockrum, you know, hell, Infantino um, rejected his, his black superhero character and then turned around and him and him and when um, recreated a human target. Oh, yeah. Later on, and, and, and uh, which became a TV show, underrated. Uh TV show twice. Yeah, twice. Uh, yeah, I forget the brother. Rick Springfield. R- Rick Springfield. In the 80s. <laughs> Rick Springfield was doing an early uh, version of Human Target. Then when right. it was rebooted recently. Um, I can't remember. Mark Valley and Chi McBride. And Chi McBride. Chi McBride, but there's, there's also somebody else that was on that show. Oh. He played Kelly Lee. He also played Rorschach. Jackie Earl Haley. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Jackie Earl Haley was on there. Uh, guy, guy, kind of meant for comic book Ano-, films. Uh, another Fox, uh, they just canceled way too early. Yeah, I'm not trapped here with you. You're trapped in here with me. One <laughs> <laughs> of the still lines. one of the greatest lines of all greatest time. Line. But and the funny thing about that is that line is relevant because uh, uh, Lynn was the editor on Watchmen. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> like, like I really would love to know the notes mm-hmm. and the details that Alan puts. I mean, because he's known for just uh, exhaustive notes about every page that he does. Right. Um, I want to know what's the editing process on that because right. uh, there is there's another interview I found that started off with like what Watchmen started as mm-hmm. and how it evolved from that, and I think that's probably going to be the greatest contribution to comics that Lynn's ever done. You, I mean, you've got to think though, it's just like. Lynn saying, you know, you could do a little more penciling here, and it's just a Polaroid of Alan Moore going. (laughs) (laughs) I'd like to believe he's casting a spell. I'd like to believe that Alan's just there when he's when he gets notes and he casts spells. Like a voodoo doll. Yeah. (laughs) This motherfucker. (laughs) (laughs) Which uh, then we get it. Then I can transition to Brother Voodoo. Uh, yeah. I, I went through Comixology just looking at the books that have already been digitized uh, mm-hmm. that were Lin Win work. Right. And the first one I, I thought, I kind of want to read this, The Origin of Brother Voodoo. Right. And it's not Lin, but it's, um, it's, oh gosh, now I hate that I'm drawing a blank on this one. Uh, the original Brother Voodoo creator is Marv Wolfman. And right. uh, him and Stan Lee are talking about creating this. Uh, we're not sure what we want to do. We kind of want to make it. Maybe he's a Haitian guy who works in magic, and we'll do a we'll, we'll do Doctor Voodoo. And then he said, Stan said, call him Brother Voodoo. Mm-hmm. So he calls up Lynn and he says, I got this character. I want you to write. Mm-hmm. And then we get Brother Voodoo. We get the next Master of the Mystic Arts in the Marvel right. Universe. Uh, w- w- which he's he's a strange character because he's yeah. kind of a, a silly looking character to begin very with. much so, but he's evolved and now he's like one of the regular yeah. Avengers, right? And uh, are he's you actually, re- he's actually pretty decent? Well, I I haven't read too many too much of the new Avengers um, stuff, but uh, which cartoon is he on? Well, you know the one thing I found was uh, Brother Voodoo. <laughs> Is such a strange character, and and Lynn is writing this character, and he and he wants to bring him into magic. He wants to kind of have his magic overlap what Doctor Strange does, right? And 
I don't think anyone explained to Lynn there's no such thing as magic. <laughs> because he found pieces of voodoo that he could tie together. And I'm like, what writer goes to the length of right. finding magic stuff right. that overlaps between voodoo and yeah. uh, what is seen as, I don't know, traditional magic? What is traditional magic? What Doctor Strange does? Right. I don't know, but that that I, I love that story. That element of like, well, I found that you know they both share yeah. astral projection. We could put that and tie that together. Like the different elements right. that he 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 researches about voodoo. I mean, but that's a mark of a great writer, right? I yeah you yeah know, to, it, to go and 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 do that kind of research and and we're 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 dealing with comic books and science fiction, really. But yeah, but most have, people but, are but, just free some, for all but, in but, it. But some of the best science fiction is stuff that's based on. It was got the research done, and it's kind of plausible. Yeah, yeah. Right? Got a little fact behind You're it. Right. Um, Swamp Thing. What, have you read any others? Have you have you just read the Alan Moore stuff? What have you gotten into? Because I know it got rebooted a while back with Brian Azzarello, and it and it was uh, and Mark Mark Miller wrote it for a right. while, um, but I don't think I've ever really. No, other than, other than the. Going back and checking out rights and then, and reading those first ten issues, and uh, some of the Alan Moore stuff, I've never really latched on to Swamp Thing. Yeah, as far as a book. Well, it was weird because as as I'm doing research, you know, probably like every other fanboy out there, I've got you know action figures all over my desk, right. and, and I look down and I've got Logan standing next to uh, Swamp Thing. Right. Uh, one of you know really both his biggest creations. Right. But. How how much is Logan so important to comics right. and Wolverine yeah. since his creation in Hulk? Because he kind of becomes a one-man army of just, right. in the 80s, uh, for you young kids out there, Wolverine was in every book like Deadpool is now. Yes. <laughs> he was the Deadpool of the 80s. You're right. You couldn't buy a book without Wolverine showing up. Wolverine no. was one of the Fantastic Four. The, right. That's how that's how much Wolverine was in every book. Right. Um, and and just an incredible creation. But what one of the things I read uh, while I was researching was Lynn's tweet about the movie Logan, which is one of my favorite comic book films. Right. Just saw Logan. Oh my God! I can't possibly think of enough superlatives to describe it. Not just great superhero fi- superhero film. A great film, period. And it's nice to see a guy who creates a character to see it go on to that level of right. like, you know, other people. You get a lot of people who get real, uh, they don't want other people to use their characters. Right. I mean, we know Alan Moore said that about Watchmen. Yeah. <laughs> which is hilarious. Which, which is hilarious because Lynn rewrote uh, wrote the. Um, because they're all. Watchmen, right? Yeah. But, and yeah, that's he, what Lynn, you know. Yeah. So he would go on to do all of those books after that. Right. And again, you know, this is the guy who wrote League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. So right. if he doesn't like other people writing characters that he, you know, that he didn't create. Uh, well, watching, um, which is hilarious. I understand. I, I've watched interviews with Alan Moore, so I kind of understand his point of view. But um, the, the, that interview with Stan Lee and, and Lynn. How they were talking about, I care about it while I'm writing them, but after I'm done writing and, and moved on to something else, I just let people other you know give everybody else the freedom to do whatever they want to do. I I don't hold on to that. Ah, that's my character. You yeah, know? 
they kind of let it go. And, I, and both of them took the same stance on that. I thought that was really cool. He seems to just celebrate the champions of comics. You're he right. seems to ch- celebrate and enjoy uh, and really just – he's so positive. Like right. all the interviews I've seen with him Every are, are great because he's so excited about comics. He's happy right. to be there. Uh, just even some of the recent interviews are, are about Comic Con and what it was and what it is now. Right. And going, well, you know, back then it was like a thousand people would show up. And now it's uh, such a part of uh, the working tour. He goes, I go there and I see friends and uh, fellow co workers and I just say, hey, hey, in passing, because we're all going and right. this, is, this is our job. Right. Um, I, I got a quote here from Neil Gaiman that talks about Lynn, and this is this is probably one of the most important things, right. too, is as he continues to work in the industry and influence people, he's influencing readers. Uh, Lynn, uh, this is what Neil Gaiman tweeted after finding out about the passing of Lynn. Lynn Wynn, he wrote Swamp Thing, Phantom Stranger, and my favorite comic book stories. He showed 12-year-old me that comics could be literature. Right. How important is Neil Gaiman to comics? <laughs> Mount Rushmore. <laughs> I, I mean, another another modern day right. um, storyteller that everyone knows. I mean, he pulls he, he pulls in the goth girls to read right. Sandman, who would have never picked it up. Thank you for bringing uh, a lot of females into comics. Neil. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and what's amazing is. Neil Gaiman's reading Batman. Like I would right. just read. I yeah. would. I would just imagine a twelve-year-old Neil Gaiman sitting around reading Edgar Allan Poe and just. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like I picture this kind of dark, uh, right. a dark peanut series with instead of Charlie Brown, like Neil Gaiman, right. and he's just you know he's listening to goth music. The and, Cure. And he, yeah, <laughs> he's just got a black hoodie on, and, right. you know, uh, but. That influence to get a guy to come into comics right. is so important, and his effect on Sandman and Vertigo. Right. You know, I don't. I don't. I think Vertigo is a major player uh, mm-hmm. when you're getting into the late '80s, early '90s right. of books. Yeah. Um. Then he had when he was at DC, he had that uh, Justice League run or, or Justice League of America run. Yeah. And. Like, at the time, is a minor character, but ended up being, if you're a fan of Final Crisis, you know, um, he created Libra Yeah, in that run. Um, now, I haven't read Final Crisis. I, 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 I got to <laughs> admit, you know, when you get into the DC event books, I think yes. the only one I'm going to go crazy for is going to be Crisis, but I really wish Kyle was here. Right. Kyle, and I, <laughs> Kyle and I talked about the Legends miniseries. Right. I hadn't read that since it had been out, so I started. Right. I started looking into it. I want to reread it now, and I wish he was here to go through the details of right. it because that was one that hey, when we were Lynn, going, was in, Lynn was involved in. Yeah, well, he wrote. Well, he was involved in that. For he created Amanda Waller in issue number one. Yeah, you know how important is Amanda Waller? Right. Who's the best character in the Suicide Squad? Amanda Waller. Yeah, by because, far, because <laughs> she is gangsta. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> as Deadshot put it. Right. I mean, you get two. You give me two scenes with her, right. and that's her executing everyone in the room, and then at the end, telling Bruce Wayne to watch out with his nighttime activities. Right. <laughs> yeah. And the funny thing about it is, is like when doing the research, you realize as as a as a a nerd of color. I mean, he's created Storm, Amanda Waller, and Lucius Fox. You know, and. Uh, People can kind of overlook that, but you're talking about 
two very strong female characters. Very. Of color. And you wrote uh, a black male character who's a CEO of a Fortune 500 company. Yeah. And you we, know. And we kind of debated this a little bit because right. I, I think canon has changed – and I am trying to tie it down to where we got to the point where Lucius Fox has created most of, oh, the, right. uh, of the bad equipment. Yeah. He, he's essentially given him everything from R&D and, and, and Wayne right. Enterprises. But right, have we gotten to the point in the comics, and I think it's in the Loeb sale books. Okay. I, I, I'm going to have to nail this down. And if any of you guys can send me any help, just uh, tweet at me at under, Clay underscore Harrison. Because I'm trying to find the book where Lucius suddenly comes from being just an employee there to being the guy who gives all the gear to Batman. Right. And uh, if anyone, I know you're, I know you're listening, Daniel. You're my Batman go-to guy. Mm-hmm. Give me information on Lucius <laughs> creating the Batsuit, right. Batmobile. I want to know. I mean, because in the Nolan films, they are, but right. but 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 in in debating with Kyle. Kyle says those aren't canon. Uh, <laughs> he was very the, the, about that. He, he was. They, they exist in their own universe. Mm-hmm. They they are standalone, but important enough to have Morgan Freeman create all of those toys. Right. I mean, you got the tumbler, and the tumbler became something that we see in the books. Right. Uh, when you have pop culture influence the comics, uh, right. it's pretty big. And yeah. I, I think we're going to see uh, Lucius Fox more this season in Gotham. Uh, yes. Because we're starting to see the origin of Batman. I haven't been very high on Gotham. I love the villains. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got to admit, I'm kind of curious because the Riddler Penguin stuff uh, uh, looks to be a lot better. I might go back and rewatch last season just well, to I see how to this goes. I... Gotham got pushed to the wayside last season, so I didn't watch season three. Yeah, and you know, I I look at Gotham like I look at Agents of Shield. Like, I'll admit the first season. But I can also admit that towards the end of that first season, it started getting better, and season two was better, and it became a better show, and people were still poo-pooing it, but I, I was like, I'm sitting there looking at it, and it's a better show, but it kind of got, um, with DVR space, kind of got pushed to the side, so I didn't, I, I need to, I'm waiting for him to post it on Netflix, season three, um, that and Lucifer season two. Both of those kind of got pushed to the side. And see, I haven't watched Lucifer at all. I love Lucifer. The first season was fantastic. Yeah. And um, I need to I need to pick it back up. Um, and then I was I still got um, season or episode one of season four of Gotham on my DVR, waiting to waiting to be watched. But I wanted to watch season three first, but they just haven't released it on Netflix or. Oh, Hulu. okay. Yeah, it, you got a few weeks, and it'll yeah. show up. Um. How important, like, when you talk about a character uh, like Storm. Right. Person of color, how important is that that to you to see in the books? Because she's a goddess. She's more than just a mutant in this book. She is seen as a goddess. Well, I mean, she was practically, you know, everybody talks about Wolverine and how much of a badass he was, you know, and that's the reason why people, like you said, in the 80s, when we were in our teens, um... Wolverine was everywhere. Right. But if you go back to the main X-Men book, Storm, you know, Cyclops stayed around for a little bit, but when Cyclops left, Storm was the leader of that team, you know, and so she was... Hold on, I'm getting my Cyclops on. Cyclops yeah. on. <laughs> Your concussive blast. <laughs> okay. And Continue. So, but, um, just, he said you know, but she was, 
she was really the leader of that team. And like you said, she was like she was a, a she led that team. team yeah. She led the Morlocks, yeah. and she fought to lead yeah. the Morlocks. Yeah. yeah. And um, I can never. Did she ever become an Avenger? Ooh, no, but she ran around with them. I'm yeah. trying to think if she was ever on that team, and I don't, I don't think so. Or was she was she part? No, she wasn't part of A Force because that was after you know Marvel's kind of well, suppressed B- the X books. So. so Beast, Wolverine, Havoc. I don't know. I can't remember if she ever became one, but I mean, she hung around with them because she ended up marrying Black Panther. Yeah, you know which. That, that's, that's always been a weird one. Yeah, I don't. I don't really dig that. Right. What what I really. Oh look who's here! Hey, <laughs> hey, buddy! If he's not ten minutes late, he's on time. <laughs> Mr. Kyle, on. <laughs> Mr. Kyle Condis, if you want to go ahead and set up and get his headphones and mic check, we'll uh, continue the show. Um, and but, so, so for me, you know, seeing all these characters, mm-hmm. I was always like, oh, okay, well, because the way I got into comics is through Star Wars. Right. In 1980, I hear, you know, they have comic books about Talk these films. And test, test, test. How are you going to do that? <laughs> There he is. Uh, and so I get real excited. I'm like, Star Wars, you know, this movie has changed my life, and we've got a sequel coming. I've got to find out everything. I have to go to the comic book store. And so they don't have any Empire Strikes Back comics. Right. And they said, and so all I hear is this talk about this X Men book, mm-hmm. X Men book. So I go buy X Men, and uh, it is a standalone story of Storm and Kitty Pride. Right. Oh, is it, it, when, is it when they're in uh, Belesco's universe? No, no, this is X-Men. I'm trying to find if it's 180 or 181, because I always get these two I confused. I know this stuff. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> if we only had an expert on... Good morning. Sorry. How are you doing, Kyle? Oh. You just woke up. How you feel? I, as I told him, uh, your gracious better half, I woke up at 7.30 with a major headache, fell into the bed, and meant to get up at 8. <laughs> it was 9. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but well, I'm, I'm okay, I'm okay. All right, all right. Well, we're... we're uh, let me finish this, and we're going to transition back, because there was a couple things I wanted to touch on with you, uh, specifically Legends, because uh, I have not read that since the original. But uh, but my exposure to Storm is X-Men 180. Uh, it is a standalone story with Storm and Kitty Pride, and just after the changes that Aurora's gone through, she's got the mohawk, she's right. going down the ladder. Doesn't have look. the powers anymore. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, that's going to come up in uh, Life, Death, uh, that's I believe 184. My bad. Okay, so we're yeah. close to that. Okay. So mm-hmm. so then we would get like the two issue, and I believe it's Barry Windsor Smith, Chris yes, Claremont. Is, yes. uh, right. One of the one of the probably the greatest storm storyline. Storm wise, yeah. That, yeah, yeah, uh, ever. And so I read this book, and it's just an adult talking to a kid and telling her how what appearance is. And Wait, you, what issue was it again? 180. X Men okay. 180. Because 181, right. I think, is when they come back from Secret Wars. Yeah. Okay. Okay. 181 is when they come back from Secret Wars and they're in Japan taking on the dragon. Right. right. And, and and we see and we see <laughs> and when they're in Japan, we see this new version of of Storm, the Mohawk version. Right. And Kitty just not really getting it, thinking like, "Oh, you're a different person because of what the of the clothes you wear." And she's like, "No, I'm still the same person. This right. is just a look." And and. And it was kind of this, like, I go, what happened to people fighting and capes and and what I think is this? And I go, I want more of this. Right. Well, this was the the point. I think it was like 172 when they were in Japan for Wolverine's wedding. It was the whole thing. She met Yoriko and realized, you know, that was the thing. As as she was, as a, uh, uh, oh, my God, as a character, she realized I was, I'm missing something. I'm not able to be as the person I want to. And when she met Yoriko, 
and did the mohawk and all the gangster kind or biker looking kind of outfit. Right. I'm able to become the person I want to be. I'm, I don't have to be this like you know, you know, kind of petite kind of looking superhero. It's like I can be a badass, and that's what that's I think what opened her up to become the the storm that we know now and yeah. this day. Yeah, her uh, that mohawk change was. Oh yeah, and yeah. she and she's done it, it numerous times change. since yeah. then. Yeah. Yeah, she's it, going back the, to it. Yeah, the mohawk has gotten bigger, yeah. more elaborate. <laughs> right. I think if you've read uh, the Extraordinary X Men, mm-hmm. uh, you've seen that art because it was uh, Humberto Ramos who is amazing, and he just gave her a spectacular look. The look that she had in Apocalypse, um, the yes, movie, one of the redeeming factors of of, of that movie was the the, the that the look. A, they and, got the looks down. What's so sad? What's so sad is that that storm probably has more storyline than Halle Berry ever had. Yes, and that's the Halle Berry didn't deserve storyline. Yeah, that's so. That's so sad that she played Storm for years, and there's no real definitive storyline for her. No, no. Same thing goes for James Marsden and Cyclops. The kid who played Cyclops in Apocalypse had more character development in that one film than he did in all four films. How many male films he was in? He yeah. did. He did three, and he only appeared like in the Last Stand for two <laughs> minutes to get blown up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they've really wasted Cyclops. That was that was such a bummer because I love that I love that actor. Um, I'm excited to see though uh, someone else play him as a kid though in oh, the yeah. upcoming yeah. version. But again, What's you know, more definitive proof that you know Claremont is king and in, in X Men. They're redoing right. a story we've already seen in the films. Right. So this, you know, I don't know, this kind of hack guy, Chris yeah. Claremont, who did it for 17 years. I mean, really, what was Lynn thinking when he gave him the job to write the X-Men? Right. I don't know. 17 years. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, well, you know, when I was telling you, you know, at the last con, I was talking to Daniel Way, and mm-hmm. he had been writing for 14 years. You're right. And I was like, I, I, that's a lot. Like, you, how much do you know of those characters? And then right. I think about what Chris has done and how many characters he created and did in there. Mm-hmm. And uh, did they have any idea when they handed over the reins to him yeah, what would I happen? Because it's different from Larson, right? Because Larson, you know, he created Savage Dragon. And and, okay. it, and so, you know, that's his baby. And Claremont, you know, he just, he's adopting these babies, you know? Yeah. And and and, and, and raising, taking off for 17 years and doing it. And it's amazing when you see runs like that. Well, and, you know, Claremont said after Lynn's passing, he goes, Lynn will never get the amount of credit he no. deserves for yeah. what he's done to comics. But in just this little bit of research, and like I said, I'm motivated to do a documentary-style episode to, right. to, to put all this into a better format. But I felt like a conversation between all of us was mm-hmm. the best way to approach it because we all can go to stories that he's done or characters right. he's influenced or brought in. I mean, I'm wearing a Nightcrawler shirt because you can't see my Nightcrawler tattoo because he's one of my favorite characters The funny thing time. about this is you can't even really do... After doing this research, you realize there's several people that you can't even really do like a documentary movie on comic book creators and writers and stuff like that because it would take too long. It would be, yeah. it'd be yeah. too long of a movie. And Lynn's one of them. Yeah. And Stan Lee, Kirby, Lynn Wynn's one of them. Because oh. you, you, you take up a 45-minute block of a movie, of a documentary, just to talk about his influence and his work. Yeah, and and if you do uh, a film, you're going to talk about the person more than the characters, and the right. characters we see every day. So right. it's it it's such an incredible influence. I want to I want to uh, go back to when we were talking about the Legends uh, miniseries because Kyle was really big on this, and I had not read this since it initially came out, 
and started to revisit it, but I thought it would be best to let Kyle talk about it because he, he you just bought it, what is that, the 30th anniversary? 30th anniversary of Legends. And this was the first major crossover right after Crisis happened. After yeah. they retconned the whole universe and, and this thing. And another, another thing, people might not know this, this is the official first appearance of Suicide Squad. Yeah, right. And if I'm not mistaken, I think as I was reading some stuff, this may be the first official appearance of Amanda Waller. It is. We've yeah. been talking about yeah, that We were just talking about that <laughs> and, and, and the, the character's influence. Uh, yeah. Amanda Waller is just so important to Suicide Squad. Yeah. Uh, th- there is one run of Suicide Squad where she is not in it, and they try to put someone else in her place, and it's, it's a 12 issues, and, and it's, it's not, not it. good. Mm-mm. But Legends is John Byrne, the art, and this is a John oh. Byrne at his prime before he got. Can I see? Yeah, and I and I say this because not that he's not a bad artist. It just after a while he started get, where his art got to be too like blocky, almost like it, like there was right. no fluidness to the characters with the way they moved. Mm-hmm. And this is when he did a comic book called I think it was Next Men. Next Men. Next yeah. Men. Yeah. But this is like him at his prime, and, you know, and I didn't realize until I was researching. Lynn uh, wrote this. He yeah. Wrote yeah. The book and it's six issues again. Major crossover in the other uh, comic books. He had Cosmic Boy from the Legion of Superheroes, who was trapped in our time at the moment. In this, uh, you know, this was the a story arc that basically killed off the current iteration of the Justice League of America that had Steel and Vive and Gypsy in it, and then it would w- become to form the Justice League International with Guy Gardner and Blue Beetle. This is what gave us Blue Beetle as a part of the Justice League of America. And so, right. and, 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 and let's talk about Blue Beetle for a second because I know it's one of your favorite. Characters. Oh God, yes. So, <laughs> Ted Cord. Screw you, DC. That's all I'm going to say. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> fuck you. Sorry. But, but Way to alienate half your audience there, Condis. Ted Cord is freaking awesome. He was the one character in some ways, was like Peter Parker, but not like Peter Parker because he was the guy that everybody could relate to. His mentor was the original Blue Beetle who had magic powers with the, this blue scarab, which would become, you know, Jaime, or not Jaime's, uh, Jamie's, uh, the current Blue Beetle's uh, power source. But he goes, hey, I'm an, I'm an adventurer. I'm smart. I own my own company. I can create this, like, you know, gigantic beetle vehicle I can fly in. He studied acrobatics and martial arts, and he just became an everyday kind of person who basically became a superhero. And, and before we got Blue Beetle and Booster Gold, which is one of the greatest co- combos in comic book history, he was a part of this one. And we got Guy Gardner also, you know, Black Canary coming out of Green Arrow is in this. You know, Dr. Fate of all things from Justice Society of America became a member. Yes, here we this, go. This page, this splash that right page there. is amazing. That was probably about two right. or three episodes before, uh, issues before they canceled it. It's, it's, yeah. it's the most 80s thing of all because oh you've got Vibe in his original costume. Yes. Vixen, Gypsy, I love uh, Steel. <laughs> Steel. I mean, Legends of Tomorrow has all these on here, but they don't have this look. I no. want them to have this episode where they go into this alternate reality where right. all have of them are look. dressed like this. This uh, would be amazing. Firestorm's on the picture. Firestorm. I mean, uh, the, gosh, and, get, and the, get us somebody elongated, man. Yes. Uh, right. he's, he's coming. He's in Flash season uh, four. Oh, really? Oh. Yes. <laughs> all right. What, what page is that? Because I'm not getting a good visual on it. Oh, uh,. That is page number. Uh, Let me see what I can find. Out. Twenty and twenty-one of the first issue of Legends. It's near the end. It's basically like, in most comic books are like twenty-two, twenty-three issues. That's in the very first issue, and yeah, and this and this is like I said, this again alone is one of my favorite stories because I, I know, it, the premise is Dark Side is basically using one of his his dudes, uh, Gordon Gottfried, who can manipulate people's emotions and stuff to basically turn on all the he- uh, superheroes. And so he's like a more powerful Alex Smith. A little bit, yeah. <laughs> kind of a crazy... Uh, am I saying that right? Who's the InfoWars guy? Alex. No, here, oh, this is what I love. Is, and I think it was yeah, first, this is issue two. 
there's a scene where, where you have Jason Todd of the Robin. He's got beaten down and brutally mini, uh, mauled by the citizens. And you know, and you have the cops saying, uh, "Better call the commissioner and tell him that we found Robin, or at least what's left of him." I mean, he Alex was Jones. Yeah. Yeah. Alex Jones. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, Infowar. <laughs> yeah, my brain's not working this morning. I, I know it is cut. way too early to try to recall all this, but mm-hmm. Kyle, Kyle like woke up ten minutes ago and it's yeah. all like on the tip yeah. of his tongue. Yep, there we go. <laughs> Get him going. But no, it, it, Legends is one of those ones again, being the first major. Like I said, anybody this. My whole thing with uh, DC was I was reading all the comic books and then I started reading the later stuff and was wondering, wait, why wasn't Superman a part of the Legion of Superheroes anymore? Superboy, what happened to Superboy? What happened to all this stuff? And you find out that they retconned. I, it wasn't until I read Crisis that they retconned everything, and this was the first thing that really was a big prominent role. And again, it was also one of the we first also we also introduced uh, Captain Marvel, Shazam. Yeah, no, he wasn't this. Yeah, and well, he also had a, a limit series that also started around the same time too. And, then, and then, again, this led to him being in Justice League again. For about all of six issues, but again, it was Captain Marvel has always been one of my favorites over Superman. Yeah, and I mean, it's just it, 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 I can't name anything about the art, the story. Uh, it's yeah, and also it was kind of like the, the launching point for uh, Wonder Woman because she had a retcon. Uh, yeah, too. with George Perez. Yeah, exactly. Hey guys, we're coming up on the five minute mark to go, but I did want to get into something that Kyle actually has in his folder. Uh, I want to get into this uh, DC Batman Hulk crossover, please. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> so during the um, late seventies and early eighties, DC and Marvel were doing some crossovers, and one of the the first one they did was Superman versus Spider Man. But one they also did, and I didn't realize that Len wrote was Batman versus the Hulk. Right. And this story was greatness. It's one time, like yeah. And uh, this, and this just wasn't an average comic book. This is like a oh, super no, yeah, no, sized comic book. Yeah, it was yeah. a huge yeah, it was one. Like oversized yeah. books. Yeah, it was. They, they did a whole bunch. They, they I did, had this. Oh, I still mm. do. That's why I, I've been trying to find <laughs> it. And I couldn't. I was. I was kicking myself for this. Yeah, but and, and my, one of my favorite scenes in here is you have Batman where he actually beats the Hulk. But the, re- the way he does this is he launches a gas bomb, and the Hulk's like, "Oh, but Hulk is too smart for Batman. Gas cannot hurt Hulk if Hulk does not breathe it." And then he basically inhales this whole thing, and Batman, I don't know where he pulls the strength up, but does a drop kick right to his suplex, and where he basically knocks the air out of Hulk, and Hulk has to breathe in the gas he does, and just passes out. Ugh. And so Batman beats the Hulk, and eventually, <laughs> right. and, and, and I love how how they come together is because you know because like, Batman finds a way. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but I love how he how they come together is because you know if you ever watched the uh, Incredible Hulk TV series, it was David Banner. Yeah. He's going around to find some kind of new job. And in this issue, it's basically Bruce Banner working for Wayne Tech trying to build a new uh, gamma ray machine that's going to help take away his powers or oh. take away the Hulk. And this, and, and yeah, this whole story, if you get the and the villains of all things, it's like the Joker and the Joker actually uh, friends the Hulk. He's like, Look at my hair. I have green hair. We're friends. And the Hulk's like, Oh, I like you. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it, was, there, was, was there a better choice for a writer for that if, issue? I don't I mean, know. I, don't I mean, because considering his runs <laughs> he, on the Hulk on and on both. Yeah, uh, making that no, I, I don't think there is. This, this, this was. This is just a fun story. It's not a great right. story, but it's a totally fun. story. It's a fun but, story, and that's a great crossover oh, too, no. because you have said two really great properties that come together in a really, really great story. Exactly. I mean, I remember reading it so young, but it was so impactful on me as a comic book fan. Yes. Oh, hey, Kyle. <laughs> um, in my research, I, I came across this little tidbit. I was wondering if you know anything about it. Yes. Sir. Uh, Lynn worked with Dave Gibbons on Green Lantern. Oh man. The greatness of that, yeah, just that, that pairing. I, I do have a Green Lantern story. I just want to notice that uh, he did a run on Justice League of America, right? And apparently, yeah. one of the issues he wrote uh, was number one ten, which had a story 
in there as the year's most strongly story, the murder of Santa Claus in 1973. Right. And I, the reason I bring this up because I remember telling you guys that uh, when I was young, that DC used to have like these small digest kind of comics. Right. And it was the superhero, uh, superheroes for Christmas. And this was the story in there. And if I'm not mistaken, this is the first, at least the first appearance of John Stewart in a Justice League issue. Oh, wow. Really? And this story. That I, is my th- favorite Green Lantern. This story will hold with me till the day I die because I didn't realize he was. Th- th- him writing this makes it even more. Uh, Emotional for me because that, that yeah. story and reading the, the Christmas that was stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so guys, we are coming up on the close of the show, but I know that, uh, uh, Clay, you wanted to get into some recommended reading Ooh. on uh, Mr. Ween. So. Um, actually, I'm going to pass that over to Kyle because he is uh, he is huge on a lot of the DC books. I mean, if anything, I'm going to go uh, Hulk uh, for oh. the first appearance of Logan. A 181. Yep. And... Uh, or technically, if you want to be nerdy, actually, it's 180, 180. on the last page. Well, <laughs> <laughs> you're correct. The best kind of correct. Let's just talk, let's just talk early X-Men stuff. I mean, he, again, he created yeah. Colossal yeah. Storm yeah. and Nightcrawler. So. I mean, if you want to start at 94, yeah. get out your paycheck. And Legends. Right. Is definitely, if, if, you're, if you're a DC buff, Legends is definitely one you want to read. And also, with the Hulk versus Hulk, uh, Batman, they released a... Marvel versus DC crossover that has Spider-Man versus uh, Superman has this in there has the second uh, meeting of Superman Spider-Man and also has the Teen Titans meet the X-Men issue. Are they all digital? Can you get this digitally? <sighs> More than likely, I bet you could. Okay, yeah. right. I don't know for a fact, but I, I'm pretty sure. I mean, you you can find happily the uh, X-Men meets the Teen Titans almost any comic con you go to. Okay, for all, right. all the stuff that I, I, I missed, uh, Daniel, I know you're listening, and you're going to correct us on it, so be right. our fact checker, checker please. <laughs> right. Especially the Batman stuff. All right, Adrian, do you have a, a recommendation on Lin Wing? Um, other than the stuff we've already talked about, I mean, we've pretty much given everybody a, a great list of stuff to, to read. I mean, just... Yeah, and even even beyond that, I mean, know know where some of these characters came from. Right. Even though you may like, you may love uh, Logan the film, but the character started one eighty. Yeah, check that out and see see where he came from. Right. Yeah. Uh, I think you can get all of those digitally. Yeah, you can. Yeah, they're uh, all. And it and for those that have enjoyed this, uh, the one thing I really would recommend, and I'm going to try to put a playlist together, is just look at the interviews with Lynn because he is amazing. He is happy. And for all the problems we currently have in fandom and comics and the infighting, and it, this is a guy that loved his job and loved being here. And I don't think you'll get a better uh, a better display of just what comics can be by seeing this guy in every interview just so happy and excited to be there and work. All right. So can we go ahead and get into plugs and get on out of here? Yeah. You can reach me at Clay underscore Harrison on Twitter. You can find us uh, on Facebook at uh, Next Issue Podcast and Next Issue Pod on Twitter. You can find me and at SoundCloud. And SoundCloud. <laughs> you can find me at Kylepedia, like it's spelled, on almost pretty much any social media platform and anything else I work on. You can find me at, um, at Adrian underscore Harry um, on Twitter and... Um, I post a lot of stuff for the Justice Sec show uh, Facebook page. Yeah, if y'all want to stick around, yep. uh, we're coming right back. We're, we're just about right here. Back. We're just about to roll in the Justice Sec. But guys, thank you for joining us for next issue. Thanks for being here. Peace.
This is DallasOnAir.com. Since Danny's not here today, let's...